0: I never underestimate Mike Pence. He's somebody who I've seen be incredibly brave in moments that called for it the most.
1: Hey, it's Johanna Masca and today's episode of Press Advance we're getting to know former Vice President Mike Pence. Mike Pence is set to throw his hat in the ring for the 2024 presidential nomination facing what is likely to be an uphill battle against former President Donald Trump and a crowded field of contenders. But he certainly knows the former president very well and was often criticized by Democrats for carrying Trump's message, even when they suspected he might have disagreements with his boss. As President Trump pressed Vice President Pence to overturn the 2020 election results. However, Mike Pence refused. He was at the Capitol as protesters came onto the grounds. He was rushed to a secure location, but he refused to leave until he certified the election results. To get to know Mike Pence, I'm joined by a friend, Alyssa Farah Griffin, who worked with Vice President Mike Pence as his spokesperson for two years. I got to know Alyssa after January 6th. Alyssa and my friendship is unlikely. Her father, Joseph Farah, of Syrian and Lebanese descent, interestingly, attacked President Obama consistently, spreading birtherism conspiracy theories, saying that he was born in Kenya. If there is any doubt, I have to tell you President Obama was born in Hawaii, not Kenya, and thankfully many in Republican circles acknowledged this truth. Alyssa has stood against her father on some of these issues, including publicly condemning President Trump's behavior on January 6th. For her standing up for the truth, she has lost friendships and the relationship with her father. I don't know the extent of what it's like for her, but I do know that I stood up against my family when I was 18, and I told a table full of Republican family members that I was a Democrat. It was not popular. I love my family, but I have different views. I don't want to lose those relationships, but I know what it's like for them to be strained. And for that reason, I bonded with Alyssa. After January 6th happened, I watched Alyssa stand against President Trump, her former boss, for what he did to encourage the mob of followers to descend upon the Capitol building. I know what it takes for someone to do that, knowing that they would upset those who they love. But knowing that the truth was more important, she stood up and used her voice. Some now criticize Alyssa for going on The View, saying she isn't conservative enough, but I promise you she is very conservative. She believes in limited government and also finding common ground, something we can both agree on. Stay tuned after Alyssa joins me because I'm joined by Nikki Kelly, editor-in-chief for the Indiana Capitol Chronicle, who has covered Indiana politics since 1999. Here are some things you should know about Mike Pence. He's 63 years old. He's the former governor of Indiana. He was in Congress before that. Before that, he actually had a radio show. He was a radio show host in Indiana. He has always been involved in Republican political circles, but he was raised as a Catholic Democrat. His kids don't all agree with him on politics, but he has excellent relationships with them. I met Mike Pence for the first time at News Nation. He had a very strong handshake, looked me in the eyes as if we were meant to meet. I will admit it was a little intimidating. So I had to start by asking my friend, Alyssa Farah
0: Griffin, for her favorite story about Mike Pence. I crisscrossed this country with Mike Pence in two different election cycles and there's no place he's happier to be than with like actual Americans out of DC away from politicians shaking hands kissing babies he's a deeply kind deeply empathetic uh, caring person who I think strives to see people's humanity um but another side of him there's there's a soft kind side to him but um, the story that will always stand out to me the most the most seared in my memory to my core moment with Mike Pence would have been in, um, at the ASEAN summit in Singapore. And I believe it would have been 2018. Um, it's basically a gathering of Indo-Pacific nations as well as the U S Canada and some Western countries to talk about, um, the common threats and, you know, China was a big topic. Russian aggression was, and sure enough, we were seated next to the Russians. Um, so Vladimir Putin was seated just next to vice president Pence. We had, um, during the course of sort of the formal, uh, meeting that was taken place, which is not unlike a UN general assembly where it's very formal. There's, you know, queued up speaking times. Nobody really speaks out of turn. The Russians passed a no through, uh, then national security advisor, John Bolton to our team saying that Vladimir Putin wanted an audience with Pence afterward. And, um, All of us, you know this very well, Johanna, um, we all, our advanced team, scrambled to pull together what was going to be a formal pull-aside with the Russians. And this is a moment where optics matter so much. If the U.S. doesn't control the narrative, if our flag isn't displayed prominently, if it looks like the Russians are controlling the optics of this quick pull-aside, it's not good for the American public to see or for the world to see. Um, So we're running around trying to get this all scheduled, but right as the meeting, this formal formal ASEAN meeting wraps, Vladimir Putin just corners Mike Pence. Now, Pence, there's this side of him, he can be a lion. He can be a fierce, you know, rock-ribbed leader, and I saw that side of him in this moment. So I'm rushing to get to him. I'm getting knocked over by Russian security guards. I get within a couple feet of Vladimir Putin, and I hear Mike Pence look into his eyes and say, we know what you did in our elections. We will not stand for it, and it will not happen again. I, had the, I copied the audio, passed it on to our national security team. John Bolton was there as well as other members of our team. And it was just, I just remember Vladimir Putin being taken aback because I think he too underestimated Mike Pence. So I start with that story only because I never underestimate Mike Pence. He's somebody who I've seen be incredibly brave in moments that called for it the most.
1: So Mike Pence is not shy to talk about his Christian conservative values. Um, he talks about how he became a Christian conservative in college because he wanted to wear a cross. And uh, I believe it was a fraternity brother who he said he wanted to wear this cross to. He said, you have to do more than wear it. And with that, uh, Mike Pence, who had been raised Catholic, became an evangelical Christian. Can you tell us a little bit about his value
0: structure? Yeah. Um, Vice President Pence is, um, he he likes to say, he said it in many speeches, I'm a Christian first, I'm a conservative second, and I'm a Republican third. And it's, he likes to put it in that order um, to, to, to show that his faith kind of dictates everything else in his life. Um he's somebody who I think believes in living the, the, the values that his faith dictates. Um, and I know that that's something he takes very seriously in public service. Um, for example, you know, we would, he would often, um, open small meetings with prayer. He would lean heavily on prayer in um, uh, in, you know, within, with core advisors, um, who shared his faith. Um, to, you know, be a a guiding uh, light throughout his time in office. But I think, listen, to to know Mike Pence is to know that his faith is important and his conservative values are. Um, And he, as he's thinking about what the future may hold, um, you know, whether that is a presidential run, I think it's more likely than not he does get in. I think the lane that he would look to fill is the one that he's, a lane he's not unfamiliar with, that he's run in his entire career, which is a conservative lane that really leans into values voters tries to you know cater to the 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 Catholic and the evangelical vote um, and does prioritize some of the social issues that are are a major issue and front and center in our politics right now.
1: And that's going to be difficult for him, as we've seen. You know, states like Kansas, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan are all firmly in the position that while, you know, they may not want, you know, people to get an abortion as their first option, they want to preserve the right of someone to have an abortion in their constitution in many cases. I do think that that is going to be a challenge for him. Immigration is another question that I always have, you know, I think when all of us see these images of all of these people who are hungry, who are in some cases putting themselves in peril, um, women who are raped uh, to try to get to the United States of America. Immigration is a really tough issue for all of us. And you and I have talked about this, that part of the problem is Congress hasn't acted on immigration reform for 20 plus years. And so, you know, here we're in this position where we're gonna have more people flooding our border. And it's hard because, build a wall and let people starve on the other side isn't necessarily a solution either. Where do you think Mike Pence stands on that kind of an issue?
0: Yeah, so there are just a couple things there. Um, You know, Mike Pence, while being a man who's uh, very clearly grounded in both his faith and his conservative values, he's also been a governor of a state, um, understands that when you're in office, and he's obviously been a vice president, you don't just serve the people who voted for you. You serve people who may disagree with you, who may have different faiths than you, who may have different politics. And, you know, even on the question of kind of how his faith plays out, I remember, you know, we had quite a few Jewish staffers, we had Muslim staffers, and it was important to him to to make people know that their voices their, and their identities were valued and were heard in his office. Now, on the policy discussion, um, abortion is undoubtedly going to be a very challenging issue for Republicans and just frankly front and center in 2024. Um, what I think is very interesting has been, um, you know, Mike Pence makes no apologies about the fact that he's pro-life and he he celebrated the overturning of Roe v. Wade. But he also recently in an interview um, came out in favor of supporting abortion rights up until 15 weeks which to me i saw is um is a move to the middle re- recognizing that some of the directions that certain states have gone endanger women and endanger children and um something i remember being discussed in his office was that pro life can't just be a hashtag and it can't just be a catchphrase um and this is something that i've actually echoed in my own discussions um, where I'm probably a little bit in a different place um, on the abortion discussion, but it's not enough to just say, my faith dictates that a life begins at conception. Well, so then what are you going to do to support the most vulnerable mothers to be able to carry a child to term? What are you going to do to be able to support foster care adoption alternatives? Are you going to support contraceptives, which are essential to making sure unwanted pregnancies don't happen? These are all discussion points that I think the right needs to rally around and kind of really define their place. That 15-week mark that he came out in favor of was Interesting to me and signaled that he recognizes what his personal convictions are But if he's running for an office to serve 300 million americans He needs to moderate and come up with something in the middle That protects his most core moral values But also gives people access to something that they see as life-saving and fundamental Um, so that on the abortion side, I think immigration, um is something that I think that's a discussion he's really eager to have. Um, So we're seeing right now at the border with Title 42 soon expiring, we're still having a massive influx of people. It's a humanitarian disaster. I was just talking to former Congressman Will Hurd, who represented um, a large portion of the border. And he says it's heartbreaking. It's not right to say To allow immigrants into our country, but then do nothing to support them when they're here, or displace them internally in the country where they don't have support systems, food, jobs, the things that they need. But it's also not enough to just be like, "Oh, sorry, you know, we're we're neighbors in the Western Hemisphere, but deal with your problems on your own." I have the privilege um, several years ago with Vice President Pence traveling um, to Guatemala, where we arranged a meeting of the heads of state of the Northern Triangle countries, which made up at the time the vast majority of immigration through the southern border. So uh, El Salvador, Honduras, and Guatemala. And we basically said, tell us what you need. The the U.S. gives billions of dollars in foreign aid. What can we do to deal with corruption, cartels, um, poverty, houselessness, things that are affecting people that are making them risk their lives to come to the United States to try to address the root causes? We made some progress, but here we are uh, four years later. And we're seeing some of the same issues. Um, one other thing that I think is a, so he, he's very, very um, vocal that he wants to deal with addressing the root causes. I know he fundamentally believes in legal immigration, um, in a merit-based system, but he's also something he did that I think is a very interesting juxtaposition, uh, to president Biden is he actually, um, encouraged President Trump and the whole administration ended up supporting Juan Guaido in Venezuela. So the opposition leader to Nicolas Maduro. And now some of the immigration that we're seeing through the southern border, a large number of people fleeing Venezuela. This goes back to the root causes issue. If you have a free and prospering Venezuela where people aren't losing weight because they can't get food and they can't get essential goods, you're not going to have a problem of them coming across our border. So It's a discussion he's very knowledgeable on. I think he's eager to have, and he's not reductive like Donald Trump, where it's build the wall, send him back country's full. You're not going to hear those words from him. You may hear build the wall, but just point of (laughs) point there, not a physical wall. It's not even how we protect our military installations. Having a secure border, I think, is a position half this country at least fundamentally agrees with. Um, But he very much agrees that this is a humanitarian crisis, and we need to be able to address that
1: you know, this whole notion of the build the wall. I remember in Iowa when we had, you know, people walking around with a wall. Well, it's more complicated than building Lego bricks. It's actually like there are, you know, Catholic entity actually owns both sides of the border. Some of Mexico, some of the United States, you have houses that are actually on the border that you have to like divide. And, you know, it's a, it is actually a, massive governance undertaking to control that border, which is really necessary and needs to happen. And probably the Biden administration hasn't done it perfectly, but that is,
0: those are really good points. Well, and not to mention, by the way, when we build wall, the cartels often dig under it. So I think we need a more sophisticated 21st century solution than, you know, building Trump's wall. A
1: hundred percent. So you did, you hit on a lot of uh like, who is Mike Pence to his core. And the interesting thing that I learned about Mike Pence is that he's always been a huge advocate for the civil rights movement. He very much uh, was a firm believer in Martin Luther King Jr., um, his message, It did inspire Mike Pence's career. Now, a lot of people from the outside who didn't know Donald Trump and who knew of Donald Trump didn't necessarily think Donald Trump was a follower of Martin Luther King Jr. How did the two of them square that, or did Mike Pence talk about that a lot in the administration?
0: I love that you know that because that's um, that is absolutely true. Um, and he he actually had a number of conversations with Martin Luther King Jr.'s um, living I want to say children or grandchildren, but um, he considers him one of the most influential uh, leader or inspiring I should say leaders of his career. And it comes back to his faith. I think oftentimes when we talk faith in politics, people think you know abortion policy and like where you are on gay rights. There's so much more to it. And I think equality is, is one of the most fundamental um, aspects of Christian faith. So Mike Pence, I remember during, um, well, a more recent one when I was with Donald Trump, but it was during the social justice protests of the summer of 2020, he was advising Trump on remarks that he should make about George Floyd's murder. And he just kept going back to, we're all made in the image of God. Um, and and that, that reminder where it's just cuts through ideology, it cuts through partisanship, it cuts through anything that's happened. And you remember that we all have a role and a place in this society. I say that because before um, I actually went to the White House after the you know white nationalist protest that took place and those terrible comments that Trump made where he said, you know, there's good people on both sides. It was Mike Pence who, who went in and got him to walk those comments back. He also got a number of staffers to refrain from resigning um, and tried to talk the president through why that was such an offensive thing to say. I think that um, his view on, on race and on the equality of man and the fact that we're made in the image of God was something that he probably had to come back to more than he, he thought that he would have in the Trump administration, but it allowed him to be an important check on a president who did not have that understanding and did not recognize those values.
1: His time as VP, you know, it is a challenging job. I don't think anybody, just to be a vice president. You're right. It's not an easy job to be Donald Trump's vice president. It's not an easy job to be vice president because you're not the president. You're held accountable for all the president's decisions. But you obviously have gotten to a level which you would like to make those decisions yourself. And that's what I saw with the job of president is the most of the president's time is making the most difficult decisions because anything that comes to the president's desk has, it means no one else could make the decision. And so it's the most challenging thing that's going to be on his desk. And uh, I guess that's my question. How did you see Mike Pence make decisions? How would he make decisions as president if given those challenges?
0: I do think of the announced candidates on the Republican side, he would be the most ready to, on day one, hit the ground running as president. And I say that because of the experience that comes with being vice president. He, every single day, would take a full presidential daily briefing, which, as you know from your time with President Obama— not every president takes it every day. It's not just one briefing in a book, but he would sit down with, her name was Julia, his CIA briefer, and he would score over every bit of intel that she needed to read him in on. He was, he made it a point to keep in touch with congressional leaders on both sides of the aisle to know what was moving, what wasn't working, what was coming down the pipeline. He was somebody who made sure that if the president was doing something he was read in enough to it that he could step in at any time and fill in for him and take over for him. So he's a um he's a very studied person, he's a very disciplined person. Um he he I think has a a very strong grasp on on foreign affairs and far beyond um just the, you know, Kind of tweets and symbolic language that a lot of elected officials put out. Um, when he was in the House of Representatives, he served several terms on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and then went on to be in congressional leadership. But he always took on an outsized uh, foreign policy portfolio, I think, for a modern vice president. I actually think an undertold story of um, the Pence president, uh, vice presidency, because let's face it, everyone thinks of January 6th, um, is how big of a role he had on on the international stage. Donald Trump didn't like to travel. He notoriously didn't like to. He didn't like meeting with certain heads of states while well, he liked meeting with others. So Pence very oftentimes represented him with other heads of state abroad um, and would be welcomed. And um, frankly, at times, we would hear through channels that some you know, some heads of state preferred to deal with Mike Pence, who was seen as kind of a steadier, more predictable force than a Donald Trump. So um, I think he's he's qualifications will not be Mike Pence's challenge um, in running for, for president. You're
1: right about that. And on the preparation side, actually, Valerie Jarrett was just talking about that, about President Obama the other night, because she was saying, you know, what lessons can we all take from him? And she said, you know, back when he was a senator, there were times when he was not prepared, like a state senator. And, you know, knowing him for the duration of time, she was like, when he got to the office of the presidency, he understood the gravity of that office. Because if you are not prepared, you are making decisions that will affect billions of people. And so he stayed up Every night until two in the morning, if he needed to, to make sure he was reading absolutely everything. And I so appreciate that with the vice president, with Vice President Pence. And you talk about his challenges. Um, one thing, <laughs> his book was so long, Alyssa, and I listened to it on Audible and it put me to sleep at times. I, I actually did enjoy meeting him. I, I said on News Nation at one point, you know, he's kind of boring. I didn't mean it like in the, I I probably should have elaborated on that because boring can be good, but like, he's kind of boring and he hasn't gotten a ton of attention from the Republicans. Do you think that could change? And specifically, he is such a Christian conservative. He shored up that base for Donald Trump. Do you think the Christians in the Republican Party will side with Mike Pence?
0: (laughs) So, um... I listened, I listened to his book on audible and I always listen to books on two speed. Cause you're able to get through it quicker. Um, actually I enjoyed it, but I, 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 hear you. He is, he's such a, he's a writer. He, he, I believe wrote a significant amount of that himself. But, um, listen, I am, you know, today, um, I think Donald Trump is by far the front runner for president I, if I were a betting woman, I, um, I'm sorry for the Republican nomination. If I were a betting woman, I would say it's going to be Donald Trump. But I tell people, if there is someone else who I think could come in and really disrupt the field in a significant way and build a significant coalition, I do think it's Mike Pence. Um, and I'm I'm staying neutral until the field shapes uh, um, fills out. I don't, you know, necessarily know where I'm going though. I would. Were it a general election, I'd be thrilled to cast a vote for for Vice President Pence uh, for president. But his lane is this. Um, yes, it's the same lane that he was responsible for delivering in twenty sixteen, which is the evangelical faith based vote. People who were traditionally Republican voters, skeptical of Donald Trump and his history, but since then, I mean, he he continues to have tremendous support in that lane. Where his challenge is going to be is the about 30% of the GOP that believes the election was stolen, Donald Trump was legitimately elected president, and frankly, who supported what happened on January 6th at the Capitol. Um, Those are not the votes he should be trying to win. And I've shared as much with people on his team. You're never going to change those hearts and minds. Um, What he should be doing is trying to recruit Republican voters who uh, reliably vote in general elections, but often sit out primaries. Um, those are voters who tend to not be as interested in voting for the most far-right candidate, but somebody who fits the more generic Republican, um, you know, more tr- tr- general generic Republican billing. I think that there's a lot of opportunity there for him to come in. Um, listen, there's a lot of hype of other candidates who are in there. You know, you mentioned Ron DeSantis, who for, for many months has kind of been um, hyped as the alternative to Trump. It's too soon to to call anyone's fate, but my my criticism of DeSantis has pretty consistently been that if you're running to the right of Trump, there's no coalition there. I think that Mike Pence is somebody who, based on his actions on January 6th, showing that he's willing to do the right thing when it calls for it and put his country ahead of his politics, I think that there are voters who that that resonates with. Um, That said, he's going to have to get in soon and he's going to have to have really clear answers on where he is on abortion. I think um, that there's going to have to be a defined conversation and with where he is on LGBTQ rights. I'm disturbed, frankly, by how far Governor DeSantis has gone um, on those issues. I know Mike Pence's heart. I know he's attended gay weddings. I know he has close friends and family who are gay Americans, and he does not hold hate or bigotry in his heart, but there is a perception of him with the LGBTQ community that has a misunderstanding of him. And I think it's his duty if he wants to be president for all Americans to explain why that's not who he is. He wants to be a leader for them. He wants to protect them from discrimination as much as he does any other American. And finally, I say this to any Republican that I'm advising, we've got to come around on climate change. The denialism will lose you millennial voters and Gen Z voters any you know, any day of the week. What we need to do is meet Democrats with an alternative to how we actually address it. Market-based solutions, all of the above approach on energy, but simply, you know, suggesting that climate change is, you know, not a threat, not real, it's a myth, it's a hoax, is dangerous. Mike Pence doesn't say that, he's more nuanced, but there's an opportunity for him to lead there.
1: Well, it is interesting because to appeal to the Republican primary voter, my hope is that a lot of people actually engage in the Republican primary because they do have an opportunity to figure out what the future of the Republican Party is. And people who are fiscally conservative, who like to see, you know, lower taxes and things like that should absolutely get involved. And Americans in general should get involved in our system, even though you may not like either party. I mean, that was... Fascinating to me. I was with this whole big group of Obama Dems, you know, from the first campaign, and one of them told me she's become an independent. So frustrated so many are people with the system. But my encouragement is still vote in that primary or you're going to come to the general election and you're not going to have the candidate options that you want. On um, uh, the vice president, I think you have given us so much information about him, you know, the components of having that moderation, you know, some people... They say all this crazy stuff that I know you've already said to me before about this, you know, calling his wife, mother. It's like how anybody, you know, when you're referring to my, when I'm referring to my son's dad, to him, I say, go talk to dad. (laughs) It's like, that's so weird. But the other interesting thing I found about Karen Pence is that was not her first marriage. She was married before she got married to Mike Pence.
0: Yeah, that's correct. I, he fell in love with her, and yeah, I don't, I can't recall the specific circumstances, but yes, yeah, she was previously married, and she was his first marriage, and they've been happily married for, I want to say, over twenty years. Um, yeah, they would be well over twenty years. They have uh, beautiful children, and um, actually, both of the girls are now married, I believe. And that just a lovely family. But yes, it wasn't her first marriage,
1: and one who fundamentally disagrees with him on some issues, and yet they have a wonderful relationship, as I understand.
0: Yeah, and I something I always really ex- uh, respected about Mrs. Pence is she's um, has very very firm convictions herself, and I think she was always his. Uh, closest advisor, most, I should say most trusted advisor, which I mean, we're both married. I think that's, I think in a good relationship, that is how it is. You can have the best support system around you, the most senior, you know, experienced advisors, but the person who knows you the best and loves you the most is generally going to give you the right advice. And I suspect though, I don't know, cause I was gone at this time. I suspect she was instrumental in, um, ensuring he did the right thing around January 6th. Yeah, you're probably right. Do you still talk to him? I do. I ran into him at CNN actually not that long ago, which was lovely. I didn't even realize he was, he was doing a town hall. I didn't even realize that he was coming to New York. I assumed for some reason he was doing it from Indiana and it was very, very good to see him. Um, We don't keep up as much as I would like to, but that's, um, I don't keep up with a lot of people as much as I would like to at times. Um, I think I'm looking forward to seeing him hopefully get in the field. I think he does have a story to tell. And the more he can define himself based on what he's done, what his role was in the White House, and less around Donald Trump, the better he'll do. I'm grateful to Alyssa for that
1: inside information. I do, though, think that the people who know us best knew us before it all. And that's why I turned to Nikki Kelly, editor-in-chief for the Indiana Capitol Chronicle, who has covered Indiana politics since 1999.
2: I think everyone knew from when Mike Pence was pretty young, that he had high political aspirations. And that was never a secret. Um, Certainly when he came back from Congress, where he was serving at the time to run for governor, that was, you know, the reason why is a lot of people thought is he wanted to run for president. And it's obviously easier for governors or, you know, to make that leap from the governor side to running for president than the U.S. House. And so that's basically where that, you know move came from and we all knew it was sort of seen as a stepping stone for him. What
1: was it like covering him in the early days? Did he give a lot of
2: access? So, he he did. He was very accessible in the in the sense of he had sort of regular press conferences with us. Um, He was always available for scrums after events. So he was very accessible. Now, having said that, whether you could get him to answer a question was a whole nother issue. I think we've all seen that Mike Pence can stay on message. And as a journalist, obviously, that's frustrating, right? You want to get an answer out of him and he's going to stay on the message he has to give. So while he was accessible, it was often very hard to you know, pin him down on things very hard. Well, and just as a person, because I'm always, you know, the
1: people behind it, I've now learned there's no righteous on either side of the aisle. There's some good people on both sides of the aisle. As a person, he is certainly a very measured and controlled person who seems to have a lot of
2: self-discipline. Absolutely, um, you know he's he's pleasant. Uh, you know, whenever we would be around, he was nice. I remember once we had sort of a off-the-record gathering with the statehouse press corps at the governor's residence with he and and Karen. And so, it, very nice man. He's always very personable. But you, I always felt like obviously there was only so far he would go. You know, he had that sort of professional wall as he should and. You know, that was where he was comfortable, um, sort of arm's length. And Karen,
1: his wife, has -hmm. been a huge presence in his, like, career, truly. So she had come out of college and married her high school or college sweetheart, then got a divorce or an annulment, and then got married to Mike Pence. I remember
2: her telling me all about their, you know, how he proposed— at least ever since they met and got married, I, I can definitely say whether it's for you or not. They have put their marriage first. You know, I remember having discussions and writing stories when I was doing a profile on her about how they had certain, not necessarily a rule, but a an, an idea that they they always wanted to have dinner together. They didn't want to go more than one night apart. So they definitely, um, I think, worked at making sure they had a strong marriage. I think
1: that's admirable. I mean, it's um, not every day in politics, sadly. But it's also what differentiates him from Trump, um, for sure. Yes, very different. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Mike Pence has only been married once. Of course, as a strong female in political circles, I have questions about not being able to meet with my boss, who, because he's unwilling to meet any woman without someone else there, but um he has certainly uh had, like, a level of remove from anything that could seem nefarious. Is that right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we all know that story came out at some point that he didn't like to be, you know, meet privately with women, so as, you know, no allegations, no nothing can come out of that. Now, I got to be honest, I, I never heard that while I covered him for those years. Um, I, there, He had a lot of female staffers. I would be shocked if he never met with them individually. Just, you know, you know your, your office is next door. You pop in, you say, hey, I'm working on this. You pop back out. So um, I, I don't know how, you know, faithful he was to that alleged rule, or maybe it was just a guideline he used to try to avoid, you know, any allegations, any, anything that could be seen negatively. I was never alone with them, but that's pretty basic, right? For reporters and and governors, you never really, you always have a body man around or a press person and things like that. Yeah.
1: So in terms of um, his administration, did he empower people from kind of outside of his circle? to solve problems, or was he really just a loyalist and kept kind of the people who he knew well around him?
2: I mean, as far as, I mean, he certainly, like most people, had a trusted circle of advisors that he really depended on, uh, you know. But in terms of, I would say, leadership-wise, for for executive leadership, I think he did, he was more of a macro kind of level guy where maybe he would tell an administrative head or this is often how he he would propose a legislative goal or agenda item and it would be a very overarching goal you know cut this specific business property tax but yet he wasn't uh, he wasn't into the details per se right of how to make that happen and so in that way i would say you're right he did empower people at someone else might say he just didn't want to do the hard work. I, you know, that's all in the eye of the beholder. But he definitely would kind of put out the goals and then would like people to come with him with the proposals and the details. So
1: about those details, Indiana's economy, like a lot of us in the Midwest, have, have seen some changes and fluctuation with manufacturing. What did he really focus on in terms of his role as governor with economic development, and with um, the priorities for the Indiana population?
2: Well, I think cutting taxes was a big thing for him. That was one of his very first, you know, he, he was elected, came in that January uh, for the session and said, you know, I want a 10 percent individual income tax cut. That was, he was hanging his hat on that. Uh, the legislature was which was controlled by Republicans, by the way. Um, He always had a friendly legislature for him. Uh, You know, they were not so much into the 10% individual (laughs) income tax cut. They did give him five, I I think more as a kind of save face kind of thing. Also, it was phased in. So 5% over three years, you know, that's You're not really going to notice that on your paycheck kind of thing. So, But they did also kind of throw together some other tax cuts for him to be able to tout, which was an an inheritance tax cut and some other ones. So he did, in the end, have a tax cut package to tout. But, um, you know, it wasn't exactly what he proposed.
1: Did it help working people? I mean, the inheritance tax, well, um, you know, there's been the double taxation situation. It's kind of um, one of those things that normally helps a narrower window,
2: though, of course, farmers,
1: if they inherit farmland and the price is so expensive, uh, struggling with something like that.
2: Yeah, exactly. I would say that was where it was helpful. Uh, The income tax cut itself was pretty minor, so probably not a big change. Um, Sales tax is where it really helps sort of, you know, lower income Hoosiers and nothing on that level. I see.
1: Now tell me in terms of how his moves affected, you know, ordinary people, did he make any moves at the, you know, in his cabinet with any of the uh, different departments or anything that really affected the lives of
2: Indiana residents? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I think he didn't do anything. I would, I would think most people from the outside would say he, he was solid, but not you know anything very big there were no significant big
1: changes like we need to draw things
2: right his big one and this was a big win for him was um back under the affordable care act with the obama administration he expanded medicaid but it here in the indiana we call it hip 2.0 basically it's a consumer based version of Medicaid. So it's not traditional Medicaid. This one requires payment sharing by the individuals and by, requires preventative care. Um, so they got a waiver from the federal government to cover you know tens of hundreds of thousands of Hoosiers that previously couldn't get insurance, and now they could. So that was a pretty significant when that definitely helped some people who needed it.
1: What's his view, or what was his view there about luring businesses to the state? Was he trying to use
2: economic incentives to lure businesses? Absolutely. Um, he, we, we have something called the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. He was obviously did a number of, uh, you know, international trips trying to lure business. He was very big on pushing them to. Uh, break records every year on investment and new jobs things like that. He I think he either he or a staff member coined the term Indiana a state that works and um you know saw that all over the place during his term. So he definitely put that high up on his priority list.
1: Now the thing that I find really interesting is that he had a long history in the media he hosted a daily talk show, the Mike Pence Show. Um, In addition to a Saturday show, he was on the airwaves for years.
2: He was. um, A lot of people knew him well at the time. And obviously that came after he ran for Congress the first time and did not succeed. And so he sort of got involved in that. And uh, I, I think a lot of people noted at the time that he would sort of play both sides of an argument a lot. And I think a lot of people enjoy kind of hearing that and and focus on that. I, we joke all the time that we'd love to get a hold of some of those old shows. I think they're under lock and key, but I bet they'd be fun to look back at. Were they,
1: they weren't public radio. It was like a a private station.
2: Correct. Yeah. And I had a friend who did the Saturday show with them and she used to say, you know, he was a, he was a, Total gas. So um, I think over the years he definitely became more controlled and more, um, you know, protective of his image since then.
1: So much like a lot of those former government officials, when they started looking for classified documents, when we started looking a little deeper, doing some digging for the old Mike Pence tapes, we actually did find them. So we wanted to give you a little bit of a taste of Mike Pence way back when. Mike
3: Pence is adultery no longer a big deal in Indiana and in America. I'd just love to know your thoughts, because I, I for one, believe that the Seventh Commandment, contained in the Ten Commandments, is still a big deal. We haven't heard a whisper out of the White House on this case. I mean, not a whisper. And the president comments on everything. Doesn't he? I mean, <laughs> I mean, see, I mean you, could, you could have him announce that corn prices are down. The president would have a press conference, it seems like.
1: Well, and interestingly, when he ran for office and was very negative, ran a negative
2: campaign, he wrote about regretting that. He did. And 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 I'll be honest, when he ran for governor, he he stuck by that. I mean, he was pretty pretty straightforward, lots of bio ads, lots of, you know, kind of what I'll do to help Indiana. So That may work at a gubernatorial level.
1: I mean, what percentage did he win by? His
2: First year, his, well, his only as governor, it was pretty tight, uh, actually. I think maybe 51. Like, it was a very tight race, a lot tighter than people thought. Now, was Secretary
1: Buttigieg um, mayor during the time that he was governor? Or what's the history of what seems to be a beef? Like, when I've heard Pence talk about him, it's very negative.
2: They definitely, I think, crossed paths a number of times. Um there was a point when and I'd have to double check when uh, Pete ran for state treasurer. Oh yeah, that's right. He was probably running against his buddy. Right. <laughs> probably. Of course Pete's not. Win. So yeah, I, they have gotten uh, definitely I think the Pences and the Buddha judges are not inviting each other to their Easter tables. No,
1: they're not. <laughs> it's like come on Hoosiers, play nice.
2: <laughs> Doesn't yeah, I it happen. Yeah, something must have happened there.
1: So tell me, you really covered the most defining moment of his um, career, at least for those in Indiana when they started trying to understand who is Mike Pence, other than somebody who's maybe doing a couple foreign trips to get investment. He passed the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Tell me about that.
2: Yeah, the legislature passed it back then. It it has to do with basically making sure that uh, government can't come in and uh, tell someone what to do that's against their religious beliefs. It was being pushed by a lot of religious groups who did not want to, let's be honest, serve the wedding cake to the gay couple or, you know, that was— you know, during that whole kind of world, and so this would have allowed them to. It would have invalidated or or made it easier to win cases against local civil rights ordinances. And so there was a lot of discussion of discrimination. Uh, he signed it in private with a bunch of religious. Folks who then someone later tweeted it and it became, you know, a huge deal. And, you know, it set off this national firestorm here in Indiana with uh, just whether Indiana was condoning discrimination through this. And he and other Republican lawmakers who passed the bill, he signed it, but the Republican lawmakers passed it, were saying, no, 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 you know, lots of states have a Religious Freedom Restoration Act. But you also got to remember those those statutes were put in place before, uh, you know, gay Hoosiers, gay Americans were being given sort of equality. And so to pass a new one, when we were at that precipice, was seen, you know, as very, very uh, negative. And the business community came out against it. Uh, Everyone seemed to come out against it. It it was a mess for weeks. Uh, Eventually, you know, and Perhaps, sadly for him, he went on George Stephanopoulos on a Sunday and absolutely bombed. This is not
3: about discrimination. This is but, about empowering people. Let me to try to pin you down. Government, government overreach, George, on it because your supporters say it would. And so, so yes or no, if a florist in Indiana refuses to serve a gay couple uh, at their wedding, is that legal now in Indiana? George, this is this is where this debate has gone with with misinformation. And uh, frankly, it's just a question, sir. Yes. So, or Well, no? well, this, there's been shameless rhetoric about my state and about this law and about its intention all over the Internet. People are trying to make it about one particular issue. And now you're doing that as well.
2: Yeah, he did not handle it well. And so he he had a very, very bad time with Riffra and eventually had to sign a law that Specifically, said you couldn't use the Religious Freedom Restoration Act as a defense against discriminating against someone of their sexual orientation or gender identity.
1: Interesting. This context in the country, I mean, people's opinions were changing so quickly on this. Where is um, the Indiana population? Like, what percentage of the Indiana population was kind of with him? How has that kind of changed? What have you seen?
2: I mean, Indiana has always been solidly Republican, obviously, and it's gotten more and more solidly Republican as we go. We have super majorities now in the House and Senate on the GOP side. So he always had sort of the political base. But when the business community came out, when, you know, Indianapolis Motor Speedway is, is coming up and coming to your office to say, whoa, you know, conferences were being canceled. People were canceling expansions of business. They didn't want to be known as a state that where people weren't welcome.
1: Would Mike Pence win your state right now? He's back in Indiana, right?
2: He is. And he's got a great house and he's, uh, you know, I think he still would. I I think he's still generally appreciated because whether you, whether you philosophically agree with him on things Overall, he's always seemed like a man who has convictions and who lives his life sort of honestly. Um, He seems authentic. I do think some Hoosiers, he he might not get as much support as he had before because I think they didn't really like him associating with Donald Trump or felt like maybe he uh, compromised his values a little there. But um, I do think he would probably win.
1: Who are those, I mean, there's a lot of those Republicans who were, you know, a little concerned about um, Trump's tactics or whatnot, but who are, when you're talking to them, even the state legislators, who are they going with? Are they going with Pence or are they looking at DeSantis or Haley or somebody else? Right now, they're not
2: talking. (laughs) Oh, Um. You know, I think they're playing the waiting game. I, I think they would line up behind Mike Pence. But right now at this moment, people aren't sure that Mike Pence has the courage to take Trump on in the way that he would have to to do in a, you know, knockdown drive out, dr- you know, knockdown drag out uh, primary. So until they see whether he's really gonna be all in, uh, you know, they're kind of staying quiet. And are those Republicans
1: willing to stand up to Trump, the ones that are asking Pence to? Because that's one thing I've seen. Like a lot
2: of them will say,
1: oh, this is crazy, you know, behind closed doors and then go out and be like, oh, we support this. So many private
2: conversations with Republicans who are not happy and really want a different direction. But, you know, the fact is he, he, you know, Donald Trump, for whatever reason, has a lot of grassroots support. And so they don't want to anger their voters by saying, I don't know about that.
1: What are we missing at the national level about Mike Pence as a person or about Mike Pence?
2: I I hope this isn't a cop-out, but I don't think you are missing anything because I think he's pretty much exactly what he puts out there. Um, I don't think he's, you know, hiding anything crazy or, you know, sometimes you'll hear about terrible, you know, tactics with how they treat family or stuff. I think he's kind of exactly what he's put out there. And whether you like that or not is is up to you. But, you know, he's a hardline conservative. He's mm, slightly robotic. Um, <laughs> he's, you know, but I think he will try to make the best decisions. He will always do that based on his Christianity, but he's very upfront about that. Well, and I, I listened to his book, which you talk about of being
1: robotic. It was like 20 some hours. One thing, he definitely has this in common with my
2: former boss they're verbose. But he's verbose in a way where he can say a lot without saying a lot, right? <laughs> Like sometimes we would sit for a half hour in a press conference at him and we'd walk out and be like, I don't, I don't think I know, like, I don't think he said anything enough for me to make news. (laughs) We would literally be so frustrated that reporter after reporter after reporter would try to pin him down on something. He would even joke about it in press conferences. He'd be like, let me think of another way not to answer that question. You know? I think Pence is all in. Really? That's shocking. I, 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 I do. I personally, having seen his temperament and stuff in four years, and obviously he probably changed a bit in Washington, D.C., was, I just, I don't know that he has that kind of race in him.
1: Nikki Kelly, it has been an absolute pleasure because we are ab- we are going to continue watching Mike Pence. And throughout the election, I, I can't wait to follow your coverage and everything you're doing. That's one thing that I am a huge advocate for, Local journalists need our support in every way. Where can we find you and how can we support your coverage?
2: Yeah, so we're at IndianaCapitalChronicle.com, capital with an A, and uh, we focus solely on state issues and politics and government. And so um, we're a nonprofit. So uh, come to our site and check us out. It's fantastic. And maybe people can even donate because it turns out you can't just get a bunch
1: of news from Twitter because Twitter doesn't make the news. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, We'll get there. A big thanks again to Alyssa Farrah Griffin and Nikki Kelly for helping us to get to know Mike Pence. We'll continue following him and see how he fares in his soon-to-be presidential bid. I really appreciate all of you who stuck around. Our motto for the Iowa campaign for President Obama was respect, empower, include. And gosh, I think we could get back to that in politics. That is exactly what I want to do on Press Advance. And I'd love to have the audience involved. So if you're listening to this, please find me on social media at Johanna Masca. Send me what you think and let me know if I should read it on the podcast. Please follow us, rate and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.